Hey, Augmenters. This was such a cool conversation, Jimmy. I just loved the chance to hang out with Linda, Queen of Campbell's. Queen of Campbell's. <laughs> Campbell's Soup Company. Absolutely. Campbell's Soup Company. This was, you know, I love, Jimmy, how we get the chance to talk to so many different people in so many different areas. This was had two elements. It was kind of a full-on corporate mentoring conversation, but it also brought so much genuineness, so much humility, so much humanity. I can see why Linda is is a very successful CMO. We are super lucky to be able to continue to bring up these recurring themes of the Augmenter's Eight Principles of Mentoring in each one of these guest chats we have, yet have this wonderful deep dive into the specific focus and area of expertise that each of our guests bring to the audience. Totally, totally. And I love this one. I think if you are working in a corporation, if you want to be going further in a corporation, or even if you want to bring a bit of potentially a little bit of a more kind of corporate mentality into your own organization, I love how Linda brings, again, so much genuous, so much humility, and is an inspiration for the people within her organization. But even for me, I got so much out of her um, and things that I'll take into into my day-to-day. Yeah, like you got to learn to flex your style. What a wonderful, wonderful quote about how Linda received advice from a mentor that then Linda internalized as you got to flex your style in a way. It's like showing your tweed and being your true self, like principle three in the search uh, with Sherlock Holmes as our spirit guide and tweed being a symbol. It's just such a great quote and she manifested it in wonderful ways. You you remember the story? I know, but we have to, but we're not going to like scoop her. No, no, we we can't scoop. The story is too good. Yeah. I love the story. And yeah, and a great reminder that sometimes you have to play different parts in different times in your life. You know, while you can show up really genuinely, you can flex a different part of you. If you're always, you know, quite bubbly and quite happy and optimistic, sometimes you got to be tough and sometimes you got to take a stand. And sometimes, you know, if you are really, uh, you know, formal at work, sometimes you have to let that guard down as well. So lots of good ideas to be able to take into your life in here. And especially with the flexing, which I think it was kind of understated in uh, the the conversation, but it's not a muscle which normally has the connotation of being strong or aggressive. The flexure style really is about adjusting. It's almost like flexing your style in a way, but there's still there's such strength in being able to have multiple styles. I, it, it was just a great way of uh, – as Linda also said, creating the specific uh, kind of agenda that you're looking for with mentors as well. So when you flex your style and mentoring relationship, you can do the same thing as Linda says, which is shift in your advice from, you know, executing an agenda with your manager, but then uh, begin to actually create agendas with your manager. And that's like how you can start seeing how mentoring may be coming into your life when it is outside of like specific issues in the corporate world. Did you say flux, not flex? I don't know that word. Oh, flux? It's like the flux capacitor. Oh, like the flux capacitor, obviously. Yeah. Come on, back to the future. <laughs> okay, I got or, it. Or, or like, like, you know, like life is in flux, schedules in flux. You got you to gotta change it up. It's dynamic. It's moving. 
I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I think without further ado, let's let Linda take it away. Here we go. We're so excited to chat with you. You uh, are such an inspiration to me. I'm so grateful I've gotten the chance to get to know you, um, both personally and professionally. And I'm super inspired by your journey and all the different places that you've gone. Um, and we just love to chat a little bit about your mentoring experience. Uh, maybe you could give us just a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, I am currently the Chief Marketing Officer in the Meals and Beverages here at Campbell's Soup Company. Um, and I've been here for about two and a half years now, um, just in time for the pandemic. Um, so I mean, a great prior time, to this, great time to be that, selling soup. <laughs> great time to be able to feel, yeah, you're making a good impact, right? Um, everyone needs to eat. And and prior to this, I've spent probably around 25 years. Um, and that probably is just part of my story is not a linear kind of approach through marketing only, but having been a product developer to an insights researcher, uh, to an innovation specialist, um, ultimately now to a broader marketing role. So it's been fun. And on, in uh, many different geographies also, or at least a few different geographies. Yes. The first 10 years, I think we're, yeah, first 10 years we're in the Midwest between Cincinnati and Minneapolis and um, nearly probably 15 years in New York uh, as a base, but then a couple of years in Shanghai. I love the range of roles, uh, Linda. That's very, uh, I'd say, probably makes you feel much more comfortable and adept to jump into any problem in your current marketing role because you've seen it all otherwise. I'd really be curious you know, as you're as you were moving from one role to the next, was, was there a clear difference in how you were getting guidance or advice or mentoring from folks in the different departments? I think so. I mean, I haven't thought about it, but it's a really good question. So firstly, I didn't make the changes consciously of I want to be X and, you know, therefore, what's the best way, fastest way to get there? a bit of serendipity of opportunities open, you know, doors opening. I call it doors opened and I chose to walk through it knowing that I didn't really know um, what was on the other side. And when I think about it, probably the biggest shift in what was advised or yeah, advised um, to me and expected of me it is that shift when you're in a function that is more supporting the business agenda and delivering that business agenda versus creating the agenda. I do think the the expectation of a little more in the leading from the front, there is a bit of like who wears the leader hat and you're handed that hat, uh, the function or the person that gets handed that hat. Although I think what makes me a little different as I believe everyone should operate with a leadership. And just because you're not handed a hat doesn't mean that you shouldn't show up firstly as a business partner and then bring, of course, your functional expertise. That probably, you know, it's something that I mentor or coach others of you don't need to be in marketing to show up and have an impact of a leader. Um, but I do think that there was that shift of what was expected of me as I changed roles. And did you find that there were guides along the way that helped you with that? Or was it more intuitive, that sense of knowing that a door is opening and I need to walk through it 
I think there was a natural tendency and that's probably, you know, it's like chicken and egg, right? There's a, a, it wasn't just chance that I ended up to what I'm doing today. I think I naturally grabbed that hat. And certainly when there's an absence of leadership in a situation, I'm probably the first to step up and fill that void. And so I think that natural inclination is what got me to the various opportunities that then opened. I th- I think the change, though, that I had to consciously make and what I was guided and had guides around was what um, one of my mentors said to me was, you got to learn to flex your style. So I have a natural, I know this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but when you don't know me, you, what you see on the outside is someone who's smiley, who's very friendly, very warm um, and optimistic, you know, just it, that's my personality. And the advice that he gave me was you got to learn to flex your style. So in that leadership role, you're actually going to be more effective when you are consciously choosing to show up differently. I, I love the quote from your mentor. What, do you remember when you first heard that or when that first quote like became really like actionable for you? You know, because people will hear a lot of things and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. But that, that now clearly you've so embodied it. Like you remember that first like, wow, this is a tool that's going to be really powerful. I do. And I I think, Jimmy, you make a good point of you often hear lots of advice. You know, I think the ones that really stick are the ones that the timing of it was was just really relevant. And for me, I was I remember getting that feedback in probably a year end conversation. The next six, 12 months, I had a couple of situations where it just naturally occurred that allowed me to step to connect the two, connect what he said in the situation of what happened. And in both situations, I was in meetings where there was a large group, a lot of junior folks, but then a few senior people where I was the most senior in that um, environment. And I had, I felt like, you know, there was a bully that was really trying to overtake um, the conversation in the wrong space, you know, in a very negative space. And I remember the first time I remember this first time I kind of flexed my style was I pounded my fist on the table to to really set that tone of I will not let you you know, to take this meeting in the wrong direction. And I needed to do it to demonstrate that, that one, you know, that I was the person that was most senior, it was my meeting. And two, to the, I remember thinking about like for the junior folks of role modeling, it's not okay. If someone is trying to take a meeting down, that is just not okay. I, I want to make sure folks understand that bullying is not acceptable. And and so it, all of that happened quickly and without me being too conscious of it, but I connected it back to the advice I was given around mm. flex your style. And it really has stuck with me since. And honestly, that is, that is huge. And I, I'm so inspired as as also a female leader who like being around people. I like mm-hmm. getting to know people, but there are times where I have to be the boss and it's uncomfortable for the people around me and it's uncomfortable for me. And I just, I love the way you put that is just flex your style. 
And I think, although I do like boss it up, that's a good one too. I hadn't come up with that before. Like I'll make it a hashtag. Um, but I think that is such a great way of saying that you have to just be prepared for what comes your way. You know, we've obviously spent a good deal of time talking about different ways of mentoring and how you in that meeting just set the tone for your junior team members. So you were kind of a mentor to them without them even knowing, especially for female leaders to know that it's okay to really take ownership it doesn't mean that you're not nice. It doesn't mean that people don't like you. It doesn't mean, you know, it just means that you're, that you're in charge and, and that actually creates a lot of safety also. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as leaders, we sometimes forget how important how we show up is, is being watched. It's being, you know, people do put meaning to these things, take away certain things. And because I think I'm just being me for me, it's not very conscious, but I get the reminders when people, when they come to me unsolicited with, Hey, when you did this, you know, it, it means this to me. And, and I think that's, it is so important. We think about how we show up for others and what it, what it role models, frankly, for what the messages for more junior members of the team. How did you meet this mentor who said the flex your style and, and how did that, did this individual have a way of showing their flex and how they would change at times? So I actually, in this case, I worked for him and, you know, I think oftentimes managers aren't necessarily, you know, naturally mentors, right? Because of the whole relate, the managing relationship. But in this case, this person was, it was just how he naturally was of mentoring, even when you reported into him and certainly after. Um, but it is that true. That's what I actually really appreciated about him was he, even when you reported to him, he was always watching out and helping you be more effective um, beyond just delivering, you know, the projects or your, your goals for the year, but more so in the softer skills, which he was a, absolutely a great um, just a really good, uh, adept at it was the softer skills of how to influence um, all around. So I think this is a really important point that you're bringing up that somehow you quickly register that this individual who was technically your boss, I mean, controlled compensation, promotions in many ways, I'm sure, but also was willing to do something beyond the standard roles or responsibilities, whether it is an example from this situation or in any situation, do you have some kind of like classic tips or tactics of, oh, I can tell that this person is ready to go above and beyond just because they'd like to. It, it, you, Cause even if it says in a job responsibility, mentoring, we all know that's like, that really means get your project done and don't piss off your team. Right. You know, but there's a whole nother step to that. Like in your experience, like, like, how'd that click with this mentor? And then do you have any really like good ways to identify that for others? I think the best way is really in your, uh, it, let's start with just the formal processes of a year end conversation. How much of that conversation is on just the measurable deliverables, you know, your projects, your numbers, your, what I'll call a little more on the building the business side of, of the equation. How much of the conversation is on that versus on the other side, which is more on your how? You know, how much feedback are you getting around how you're showing up and how you can be more effective? Not all managers 
even touch on that. And certainly the beyond, you know, sometimes maybe derailers get brought up, but it's the, not those derailers, but if you're good, how do you get even better? And, and I think folks that offer, managers that offer that, how do I get even better? It's always a good indicator that this person isn't just acting as my manager, but really is invested in my long-term development and my long-term success. Linda, you have a lot of quote-unquote millennial younger um, folks coming into Campbell's, as we do also. A lot of our team is, you know, kind of under the age of 35. And what we're seeing more and more often, there's a kind of dichotomy happening around mentoring. Folks are coming into large organizations and they really want mentoring. They're asking for it. They're asking for these like deeper relationships and kind of this coaching. But then at the same time, sometimes that mentoring can look more like job promotion, you know, that they want to like, how do they get ahead? How do they get ahead quicker? How do they get ahead without having to do as much work? Do you have any kind of either advice or tips that you've been using sort of with more, you know, junior team members and maybe a slightly different mindset maybe than when, because I think you and I are about the same age when we came into the workforce? So I would say my kind of contribution, the area that I think my mentoring is most effective or valued when it comes to younger the folks who are younger are just very junior in their career. It's actually been the feedback I've been given has been though actually around the way I show up shows that you can be real and there's there's an empathy and connection that, hey, I don't need to change to be able to get to a senior level in corporate America. So I, I think that's the piece that I offer and that folks have given me feedback of what they really value from me. It, it's been the capacity of feeling the freedom of being able to be yourself and not feel like you have to change to fit into a corporate this is how you must look. This is how you must sound and behave. And I can, I bring the vul- just vulnerability, the humanness, the, the, the caring aspect. Um, so I think that's the part that I think my, I probably have used my role to ensure that others get that message. In terms of career progression and development, I think the area that I have focused the most on one-on-one conversations because I have a very open door. It's it's funny. That's a whole nother topic is that when leaders say that the door is open, like take advantage of it. Don't hesitate because I do find it surprising of how few people will do that. And I do every quarter, I think about who do I want to talk to? Um, And I proactively set up one-on-one connects. And I'm talking, you know, very indirect, indirect um, into, uh, you know, my, I guess, reporting um, line. But I think it's, so that's a, I went on a tangent there, a bit of, that's a tip is when people give you the offer, you know, take it. They really mean it. At least I certainly do. I really mean it. Well, Linda, I think you're so true. And this is actually a really big point. We hear this all the time uh, in our augmenters conversations that folks are saying, well, I don't know if this person wants to be my mentor. They said maybe I can reach out to them sometime, but like, how do you really know? And for Julie and I, we continue to espouse, if somebody says the door is open and reach out and email me, it literally means like email them. Like don't, don't throw a tennis ball at them, like email them. That's what they ask you to do. Why do you think that there's this barrier, especially 
I'd say more in like a, a formal corporate setting where you're thinking about the organizational chart. Why do you think there is this barrier of like, you're like, hey, the door's open, email me whenever you want. And you're like, six months later, <laughs> I got no email, what's going on? Uh, why, why do you think there's that barrier? So I think I was one of those people. And as in, you know, I was always timid and afraid to reach out to a senior person because I felt like if I don't really have something important to talk about, it feels like I'm just networking or it, it doesn't feel authentic. It, it didn't feel right to me. So I was one of those folks that wouldn't take advantage of those uh, you know, opportunities. And, and I think there is a little of having to reframe. So even putting the word mentor or sponsor or ne network, these for me, these three words are actually pretty triggering because they go against probably my natural um my natural personality of if it's not an authentic connection, which those three words sometimes can feel a little too formal and forced, um, I just would avoid it. I think in my years, though, now looking back, what I've realized is if you kind of take all those words away and just think of it as um, connecting and showing real curiosity and, and, you know, engagement to learn about the other person and, and actually bring some generosity of whatever it is that is interesting to them or that is important to them that you can help connect that or add a little insight or um, value to that. I, I do think it just starts to create a very genuine relationship and one that is centered on a shared interest or a shared um, connection, that that was just for myself of if I could give my younger self advice is to reframe it. Like if those words somehow feel too formal and forced, reframe it to being curious and getting to know someone and finding an element that you share an interest and in how can you, you know, add value to their to their agenda or to their life even. So I, yeah, I'd say that would just be perhaps one reason why people don't, you know, take those opportunities. And it is also why I will reach out to people. And it is, you know, I consciously will say, okay, That's who so do I, haven't I talked to that I really care about how they're doing and want to offer, you know, advice or guidance as they think about their broader career, not about the work that we're doing. Well, and you kind of forget too, that like for a senior person, it's actually just a really refreshing part of their day to chat with somebody and have them ask questions about them. You know, I feel like sometimes not that many people ask about how we're doing or, you know, I kind of, we're searching for our advice. So it is really nice sometimes. Those are really a great conversations for us. So certainly beneficial to the mentee or the younger person, but sometimes they forget how beneficial it is for us too. But I do have kind of a favor to ask uh, Linda as a, you know, as a, yeah. as a marketing guru, we have been trying to come up with a better word for mentoring. We have tried to come up with a better way to describe <laughs> mentor, mentee. Uh, Jimmy sometimes plays a marketing guy on TV, but, 
we tried um, believer and guide. I don't know. Do you have any better words for for this relationship? No, and no pressure. No, I don't. It's, I don't it's a bit. Know it's a bit. I, do. uh, I don't know. Patriarchal. It has a little bit of a like you said, kind of connotations of the you know guy behind the desk imparting wisdom in a very yeah. Nice I, kind of. Yeah. Here, um, in my group, we have a program that we created a year ago, and we use the phrase pathfinders it was a little of the what but that is very specific it's specific to the program which is helping our younger or more junior marketers understand you know the competencies and career path options to help guide so that that's a a term we've used um, but it's very specific to what we you know want the those conversations and relationship to be um to be about well, if you think of anything, let us yeah, know. This is kind of a game that we keep thinking through on like, well, what could be a different word? And and we actively try to only use mentoring instead of, you know, the singular. Uh-huh. And we've just found that there's no way to, outside of the mentoring relationship, remove, you know, mentee and mentor. And we're, we're trying to take away some of that power dynamic between those two words and realize that, you know, mentee is often can uh, very much be more of a higher status and learn a whole lot from somebody. And it's a great, great relationship for everybody in those uh, locations. Do you have a feel for how to set up some of these? I mean, the term is often reverse mentoring, what I just kind of talked about. But do you have a feel for how it's been uh, successful for you to do some reverse mentoring? Because I'm sure that you've given quite a bit to the folks who have, quote unquote, you know, been in a mentoring relationship with you. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that is what makes a great relationship is one that is two directional. And those are probably the ones that really thrive. And so for me, the the reverse mentoring aspect, it is I've honestly the first piece is complete inspiration and how just how prepared and how conscious some folks are in managing their career, how they show up there. I learn from it actually of, oh my goodness, this is a fantastic way (laughs) to, to manage your career and to be conscious in the choices of assignments and, you know, being very proactive in leaving those breadcrumbs, um, you know, for folks to then be able to help you in, in what you're trying to achieve. So I think for myself, it's seeing when I see those behaviors, they're good reminders for me <laughs> around my own career. And, and so I, I think that is, that's probably been, uh, the most, you know, value I've gotten because it's these, it's good reminders of this is actually what you should be doing, Linda, you know, uh, versus getting stuck in your day to day mode. And that's so cool to hear, even for you as, as such a leader yourself, like that vulnerability, the like, um, just reminder that like, none of us knows everything, constantly being curious, and constantly being open to learning from others, which I think is what probably, you know, it's one of the many things that makes you a phenomenal leader and a great mentor. Um, I just want to flex briefly. I don't know, Jimmy, if you know this, but uh, Linda, in her time in China, opened up a new category of chewing gum, (laughs) something that the people in China did not have until you came. Um, And Linda and I lived in Shanghai, kind of, I I think we might have overlapped, but we definitely um, did not actually meet there. 
I would love to hear how did mentoring, you know, was mentoring part of your journey there at all? Or is there any way that you saw it being a bit different in China than here? I would say it probably, so yes, I don't think at the time I thought of it as mentoring, but again, looking back and taking the essence of that phrase, I was only successful in China because of two things. One is learning how to ask for help and from others. And these were the folks that were more senior than me, who typically I would never reach out so directly and often to get advice and to get perspective and, and even insert help where needed. So that was something I just had never done before. And it, I think it just was a necessity and, and, and it really, really was hugely beneficial, uh, for the, the mission that, you know, we needed to, to land. The second piece was in, I had a local team who, of course, I didn't know when I landed there and this all happened in 18 months. So it was very fast. And I had this local team in China that I needed to quickly earn their trust. And I think it was because I operated not just as a manager or leader, but also as a mentor for them as they, it was the first time they've worked for someone who's an American, you know, has a very Western style. Um, I think just being able to work with someone who had a very different style and opened, kind of opened their eyes and minds and, and behaviors um, of leadership, of, um, of just boldness in some ways of the, there was something I think in that, that they saw value that I was helping them. There is that exchange. I needed their help to get, you know, getting this done and the help that I think or value I provided to them was helping them kind of flex their style, you know, using that back of um, there was growth. And frankly, coming out of that experience business wise, it was a tremendous success. But for me personally, I was most proud of and what was most meaningful for me was when I left realizing that I helped every individual raise their game and be beyond what they thought they were capable of. And that to me was the, the what I look back even today and am most proud of. It's not necessarily the business piece, which um, it was really the the people piece and helping others then be able to go on to bigger, better, you know, just be beyond what others expected of them or of themselves. Wow, I love that. How do you help them raise their game? That that's really so much the role of the leaders. How do you help people see in themselves what they don't even believe they have um, in them when they're looking at you like we're doing what and when? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's such a big part of the role of the mentor too. That's incredible. That's great advice. We get so many awesome nuggets from this. Um, just really quickly, I'd love any any kind of thoughts on corporate mentoring because I know you've been in many different corporations and have you seen you know maybe things that you've seen go great and things that you've seen not go as well? Um, yeah, love to hear your thoughts on that. So this is where I'll admit um, up until the pandemic, I and I've spent you know bulk of my career in corporate America. I'm not, I wouldn't have said like the formal mentoring programs have ever really stuck 
for me. And, um, and I've been at different companies and, um, in great companies for me personally, I just never, you know, saw those things really stick. But I think something, um, something with the pandemic, you know, on so many levels, uh, but certainly, I know one of your principles is around consistency. Certainly, there's been this element of when you can meet virtually, and I, I do some mentoring, I lead some mentoring circles within Campbell, but there's something about the ease of which of bringing people together and bringing people together on a regular basis that has actually facilitated this ability to really get the consistency, to get to know each other, to really evolve and um, and continue that relationship, which includes peer-to-peer mentoring as well, not just, you know, Linda mentoring a group of more, you know, of um, more junior folks, but rather it's all around. Um, that is, that's something I'm really, it's been really just, great to be a part of. And we're on year two of this mentoring circle at Campbell. Um, Since then, I've also done some other mentoring circles and and mentoring programs, but something about the pandemic of that ease of connecting uh, and having the consistency, it has opened up just an elevated level of mentoring that I hadn't really experienced um, and certainly in this one from it was, it's been a bit of me leading that being the mentor, but in reality, like you said, the, the mentoring happens both ways. That's amazing that the pandemic can uh, show some things that can be really good where we're using zoom, we can connect right away. You know, as long as you engage and still show up the same way, you can have similar outcomes. Uh, I, I love that you brought up our Augmenters principle of resiliency. Thank you. That was great. And I want to touch because you also talk, touched about consistency, where once you actually do connect and build a relationship with somebody, it was important for to then stay in touch over time. But I know that you haven't just you know spent all of your career at one company. So do you have different ways of staying in touch with a mentor when that individual or mentee, if they're within the same company as you? Or is it different than when you go to a new company and you're now working at different places? Like how, how do you keep the relationship fresh and still be appropriate? Everybody's sometimes like, oh, like you try to poach my people, but really you're like, no, I just, I care about this individual. I spent a lot of time with them. Why wouldn't I want to say hi? You know, there's no reason for me not to reach out. And I still want to help this individual because mentoring is not about my roles and responsibility. It's about the individual. You know, I think the connection piece, there they're related in that when you have a natural connection with a mentor or mentee, it really, you know, it, the lines of do I still work at the same company as you or not? I think they just they aren't even a consideration for me personally. I would say physical location or proximity is definitely one reality of um, how often um, you can stay, you know, connected. Because for me, a lot of times it is over a meal. I love a good meal or drink, you know, prior to the pandemic. I think those things, it was always easy to say, hey, let's grab a drink or let's um, let's grab a meal. Um, So I do think that has changed a little, you know, over the last couple of years. 
Um, and I find today how I connect back. There is a bit of needing to just take that initiative and send a text message. Even it doesn't have to be necessarily let's um, get on the phone or get on a Zoom meeting. Um, but it, it is a bit of the quick, hey, text message of either getting advice or making a connection. Um, but it, it, you know, when it requires more conversation, I obviously have done that too. Um, but I think taking the initiative, it, it is, it, it, there's definitely a theme in that is, it's almost like yeah. you gotta have, you gotta have that to maintain it. It reminds me too a little bit what you're saying about the pandemic. I think the one thing that really um, became so clear for me, and I've always valued relationships. It's kind of, you know, what I think is the very best part of life. But the pandemic really reminded me how important, you know, genuine relationships are with others because it's all you kind of had, right, at the time. Um, not Definitely. Time, you know, just the relationships with the people yeah. you're close to and the people you spend time with, even if it was on Zoom or in person. And um, so, yeah, and, and that I think that's the biggest value of the careers that we have, right? And all the different places you've worked and, you know, it's the teams, right? It's like when you go to back to remember the things that you love the most about what you did, it was who you did it with and how you all mm -hmm. felt doing it together. So maintaining and we all work, you know, tangentially through the food industry. And I feel really grateful. I love food people. I think food people are just great people in general. I think you got a lot of good humans who are out there trying to make uh, good food. So I love that. Um, I know we're almost heading towards the end of our time, Linda. This has been so great. You had so many great tips for us. I think one thing we always love to hear is, do you have any particular like go-to resource that you share with people? Do you have like a favorite book or a favorite, you know, a TED Talk? I mean, of course, there's always Lorna's TED Talk, which is always a great one uh, on connected leadership. Um, but is there anything that you, uh, you know, pass on to people immediately? I think for my people managers, for folks who want to be a people manager or already are, the book that has stuck with me, you know, through the test of time is a book called The Ideal Team Player. And it's really, really simple of how do you choose who's on your team? And you can also read into it. How do I be a good team player? That's I think that's the kind of other side of the coin. And it's three simple things. You know, is the person smart? Is the person hungry? And is the person humble? And it's all three elements, because when you only have two of the three and you can go through the permutations, which is what the book does, you can see why it's important to have all three. And I just love the simplicity of it. And anyone who's, you know, been on teams that when you think about the ones that you have worked out, you know, been very high performing and the ones that haven't been, um, you start to see those themes of these are the attributes of every player on that team. Um so that's one that I definitely share with folks just because I think it's simple. And I do, th I don't think I realized this until being in this role of how critical my, the single most important thing I do in this job is who I choose on my team and in specifically my direct reports of they, that's the only way I actually can scale impact 
and make, you know, the maximum difference into a business is into an organization. So, so I think that that one's a big one. Um, another one that's more, it's a bit more, uh, I don't know, intellectual is the word, but certainly, uh, a lot there is called Exponential Organizations. It's a book that a mentor of mine had recommended to me probably around, I want to say 2015. And I that is actually what instigated my desire to take a huge left turn in my career and say and do something that most people in my role would never do, which is to say, I'm going to I'm going to actually go off this corporate path the path of the known path that I've got a ton of support and runway, but I'm going to go do something entirely differently because everything that got me to today to be successful in the last 20 years, I am missing experiences that will keep me relevant as a marketer, as a business person for another 20 years. Not that I want to work that long, but I certainly want to have that choice. I want to be, you know, the person having the choice. But that that book, it just um, it really broadened, you know, my perspective of what are how do you just reframe uh, what is necessary for businesses uh, for the next, you know, two decade, two decades, just what, how much has shifted because of digitization. So when you were looking for that new position and that kind of temporary shift for a little while, did you seek out an individual to help you think through what that next step would be? Did you look for a mentor? No, it always comes back to the mentors. <laughs> I would say I didn't seek out, but they, they found me. You know, I, I do believe Ooh, that, more. Ener- you know, when you put, and this is going to sound weird, but when you put an energy out in the world as to what it is that you're open to or you're seeking, things pop up. And my job is to make sure I see it. I recognize that and I have a willingness to step into that and do, you know, explore a little further. And, you know, as a result, I actually got connected to this woman who ended up offering me a role in the research industry that I would have never, ever considered um, but it was a great way to understand data, which was one of the one of the things I knew I needed to learn more about. And so I ended up going and working for her. And in working for her, I got another call from another from another mentor. And she still I still regard her as a mentor of mine. But another mentor, which Julie and I know well, Lorna Davis. She then called me for another role that allowed me to learn about purpose-led companies. What does it really, you know, feel like, uh, function like? So I went over and worked for her. And actually, then the next role was another mentor, long-term mentor of mine, Bart Applem, who then reached out to me and said, hey, you've, you know, you've been intrigued in working in private equity. I'm on to my next private equity gig. Uh, why don't you join me and, and experience that? And so it is uh, funny how how these things work of, you know, when you have genuine connections and it's not like I talk to folks on a regular basis as in every month, every week on a, you know, on a, a tight timeline in that way. But um, but I think it's it's making those 
those connections and and then when someone reaches out of then you know being open to the opportunity Jimmy, that was such a great episode. I loved, loved, loved hearing from Linda. And it is your turn to read us out. I know. Linda's great. I'll do my job in a second. But first, uh, I got to quote Linda again, that if a leader says the door is open, take the door, rip it off the hinges and walk right in. If somebody says they're willing to meet with you, take the meeting. It's a great way to think about things. 100%. For our outro, please visit our website for more interactive content at augmenters.us. Please like, subscribe, and most importantly, share our podcast with someone you care about. Feel free to drop us a line or questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or find us on your favorite social media handle at augmentershq. If you want to help Jimmy and Julie in our mentoring journey, please subscribe because we all should ask for help. Thank you to our producers, Erlen Cato and Sean Omendam. We are so excited to share with you our first Augmenters product, the Mentor Leader Starter Kit. This is a digital kit that includes mentoring how-tos, worksheets, Augmenters cheat sheets, and a call to action to help mentor and mentees transform and augment their mentoring skills. This leader kit is designed for those leading mentoring programs, both online and offline. To find our Leader Starter Kit, Go to augmenters.us. I don't know where it is. It's on the website. They'll find okay. it. <laughs> okay. This is our first outro with the starter kit, y'all. So you know it's new. You know it's awesome. Augmenters coming at you. See you next week.